This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hey, you're listening to The Hard Tackle and this is Deepan Raj. In this episode, I'll be speaking to Sport Singapore CEO Alan Goh and Singapore Sport Institute Chief Dr. Su Chun Wei on what is ahead for Singapore sports in 2024. I'll also get them to address some hot issues in local sports. Alan and Chun Wei, welcome to the show. Uh, how have you guys been, first and foremost? Well, thank you for this invitation. Uh, we've been good. Uh, it's a new year season and uh, we have new energy uh, after a year-end break. And uh, very happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Deepan. Very much looking forward to this exciting sporting year ahead. Yes, uh, me too. Alan, I'll start with you. You've been in the job for, what, nine months now, I believe. Uh, what are your observations of the sports scene in Singapore? You know, any stories you can share of something that you learned about the sporting scene? Well, uh, I it has been nine months. It's been nine very fulfilling months. I think uh, I'm pleasantly surprised by how much more I'm enjoying the job than I had envisaged. And I think it's really a case of firstly being a fan of sports all, all my life. And this job allows me to be right in the thick of action. We've had two major games last year, the Sea Games and Asian Games, and the chance to just be there and see how we support Team Singapore athletes. Interacting with them has been a highlight. Uh, if you ask me what I've been observing about the ecosystem, I think our high-performance uh, sports has come a long way. Indeed, uh, when we won the first the, the 1,000 goal in the uh, Sea Games in uh, Cambodia, it was apparent, uh, at least from my team, that uh, more recently, more goals came in the last five editions of Sea Games than uh, yep. uh, the previous ones. And at this rate, we'll probably hit our second 1,000 and a much faster rate. All right. Uh, Chunwei, what about you? You know, what are you looking forward to in the, in the year ahead uh, in 2024? Any highlights from 2023 you want to mention? Yeah, like what Alan said, you know, it has been a very fruitful year in 2023. Uh, not least the two uh, major games, our athletes uh, came out of COVID uh, in 22, went to Hanoi, went to Cambodia, went to Hangzhou. They did their very best. Uh, we have medal to show. Uh, I'm really looking forward to a very determined 2024 where Team Singapore wants to have new breakthroughs. We are, of course, looking forward to the Paris, but I think Paris... It's just one of the many that we are looking forward to. We have Sea uh, Games, we have Asian Games lined up. Uh, our athletes are raring to go. Fantastic to hear that. Uh, what can fans expect from Singapore sport in 2024, according to you, uh, Alan, uh, in terms of any events, anything that we can really look forward to? Well, uh, Chumei mentioned we have Olymp it's Olympics here, July, August 2024. Uh, much to look forward to. I think uh, it's the first time uh, we've qualified on our own merit, Shanti Pereira uh, Athletics. We have also have Jonathan and Leticia who have qualified uh, for swimming and we expect many more. So this contingent that's going to Paris, yes, as Chumi said, uh, determined and uh, hopeful that uh, we can make our mark. Uh, not to forget our two sailors, uh, Ryan and Max. But other than the Olympics, again, we aim to have a full year of events uh, for Singaporeans. Uh, we took back the Sports Hub in December 22. And we've had national school games uh, featured uh, there in a big way. Uh, we continue that this year. We will have table tennis smash again in March. We have rugby sevens. Uh, so truly, we are trying to bring more in and, and have that uh, vibrant uh, buzz back in Kalang. What kind of like sports events uh, could Sport Singapore possibly target? Like Based on your assessment, what kind of events do Singaporeans enjoy, look forward to? Well, I'll say that I think there are two parts to it. Of course, when you bring uh, big names, we brought tennis names here before WTA was here. We rugby sevens, uh, 
football, you know, we had Liverpool, Bayern Munich, uh, well attended. Whenever we bring such names here, there's always that that excitement and Singaporeans would love to come. At the same time, uh, we also want to bring in uh, events that benefit our athletes. And I'll be candid to say that when you bring in events that are too high level, it's actually more spectator. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you can inspire a young generation. Just like when Michael Phelps came uh, eight years before Rio in 2008, a young Joseph Schooling met him and then we saw the pictures eight years later. But we need a bit of both. We need both the very high end because we all celebrate sports and our fans. We also want those that we bring in that Team Singapore athletes can, uh, because of the nature, the by virtue of us hosting it, they can take part and then they can benefit from the experience and do well. I'll give you an example. When we brought in uh, World Table Tennis Smash, March last year, uh, Isaac Quack, it was his second time. Yep. So the first time, he was more nervous, arguably. Second time, and people will recall that in the first round, he came back from two sets down to beat the Commonwealth gold medalist. And a few months later, full of confidence, he went into Cambodia and got the gold medal. So these are the things that we are quite conscious to see. The events we bring in, hopefully we can also benefit our high-performance system. You talk about spectator events. Uh, as a Manchester United fan, just want to put in the request that I would love to see my team in, in Singapore. Uh, maybe some United fans are not looking forward to seeing that team based on results at the moment. Uh, Chunwei, I just want to ask you, what about you? I mean, uh, not just as a member of the sporting community, but as a sports fan, what would you like to see in Singapore? Certainly, I think uh, the big names, big teams are always welcome. But I think gradually, myself as a Singaporean, I want to see our Team Singapore athletes be able to be very competitive in high-level events that we bring in. And this is, in fact, uh, becoming so. Uh, For badminton, for table tennis, like Alan mentioned, uh, we can see that our level of competitiveness at a high-level event that we bring into Singapore is like, not like the early days where you know we don't even make it to the participation point. And now we can even aim that we can go far and do well. And as a Singaporean, I get very excited when our local athletes are very much up against the world best uh, in our local events. So I, I would want to see us leverage these opportunities that our home events, our Team Singapore will perform in front of our home fans and make them very, very excited. Fantastic to hear that. Moving on to just spectator, from spectator events to participation events, um, my feeling is that, you know, there were plenty of runs and, and marathons uh, that were happening, you know, before COVID and those levels haven't quite returned yet. Uh, what is Sport Singapore doing to revive the mass participation scene? Like what needs to be done to get it back to pre-COVID levels? Uh, well, I think mass participation is one of our key objectives, we want a community to to come out, uh, live better through sport, uh, exercise, play sports. Uh, but I'll say that mass participation is beyond just runs. Uh, indeed, we want to have runs come back in a way because they are very well subscribed. But our aim is to make sure we have a full suite of participation events that Singaporeans can uh, subscribe to. So last year, beyond the Stand Chart Marathon, which you know ended at the stadium, uh, we had the PTO Triathlon, which was uh, also very well subscribed. So uh, our aim is actually to make sure that every calendar year, uh, Singaporeans can look forward to enough of a diverse range of uh, mass participation activities. Okay. Uh, moving on to updates, I've got the easier questions out of the way. Uh, just some updates that I'm, I'm sure uh, Singaporean sports fans will be looking forward to. We've heard about you know the Velodrome uh, being in the works for a few years now. Opening this question up to both of you, is there an update to that? Is that something that we can still expect? You know, what other facilities in Singapore sports are you looking forward to having? Well, I think before my time, I, I, I've learned that the Velodrome was something that was thought about and uh, plans are underway. 
I'll say that because we have actually taken back the sports hub, it has given us a fresh opportunity to holistically review the Kalang precinct as a whole. Our indoor stadium is uh, over 30 years old and probably due for a refresh. Uh, so suffice to say that we are working hard to make sure that uh, our current plans, as of up to the point where we've taken back the sports hub, what, what they are, uh, what new opportunities we have, and uh, we're trying to work out uh, something for the whole Kalang precinct. So I'm not saying a lot now because uh, we've not uh, been able to put together the pieces yet, but uh, watch this space. Uh, hopefully uh, in the coming uh, months ahead, we will be able to say a little bit more. Okay, Chumi, anything that you know you feel is lacking in the in the sporting infrastructure in terms of facilities that you perhaps want to see in the coming years in Singapore? Mm. Specifically to the high-performance facilities, I think it is an uh, important consideration that we continue to provide high-quality training spaces for Team Singapore. And in the landscape Singapore, you know, I accept that there will be a need to balance between community events and high performance. So we'll be looking towards a, a combination of uh, building, upgrading, optimizing the share for uh, community use and high performance to ensure that the growing ambition of Team Singapore athletes are not hindered by factors like uh, ability to train or the, the facilities uh, not being online, so on and so forth. So I just want to echo what Alan is saying is that um, we have now a strong and big ambitious goal in Kalang Alive to provide for not just uh, mass participation, community use events, but also epicenter of everything sport that includes high performance. So in, in the foreseeable future, uh, watch this space. We want to come up with a very coherent plan that supports all this diverse range of ambitions that Singapore and Singaporeans are looking forward to as a you know, successful nation in sport. All right, I'll look forward to the plans that you have in store in terms of facilities. Now moving on to football, which is my favourite sport. Uh, you know, the Unleash the Raw project was announced several years ago. And since then, there seems to be a move away from the 2034 World Cup qualifying objective. Is, is this still on track? You know, what is the next key move with only 10 years left until we reach that 2034 mark? You know, are you convinced that we are on the right track in terms of the goal that we are trying to achieve? Well, I'll say that being a football fan growing up, uh, experiencing 1994 Shah experiencing Suzuki Cup in 2012, I very much want to uh, see the return of our Lions being successful on the pitch. And I think uh, as a start, we've again taking back Sports Hub, we've trying to make sure that the stadium is available for the team whenever we play. We've put effort to make uh, to get things in that direction. Hopefully, the enough fans come and uh, support uh, like in the 90s that we all know there was the Kalang Raw. Uh, so that's one part. Specifically for Unleash the Raw, we have uh, uh, last year started to send out scholars and we are trying to put in place our system where there's a junior uh, development centre, national training centre. The Kalang football uh, pitch is ready now. So these are the pieces. Uh, yes, I I do know that many, uh, probably you, uh, will say that so many years already, you know, why can we see something? But to me, at least these tangible steps are manifesting on what we've hoped and planned along. And uh, hopefully in a few years, we start to see uh, more support and more interest and it will then translate into more success on the pitch. All right. From a high-performance standpoint, um, you know, I do remember that uh, at the 2023 SEA Games, I believe, you know, at the post-games conference, you know, you did say at that time that there was a need for 
some time and some space for for FAS to to reflect on um, the failures in some sense of of the 2023 C games. You know, since then, have you been convinced that they are heading in the in the right direction personally for you? And also, how can SSI support the football course? Personally, I certainly believe that UTR is on track. And what Alan has said is that we have plans. It is a long-term plan. We go back to the fundamentals. We start with the basics again to make right what are the important building blocks that constitute a very successful football ambition. Of course, it takes a longer time for the entire fruits to come to bear. And I think if you measure against the plans that we have intended in the last two or three years, I would say that we are on track because scholars are away. Uh, we are coming out with the second batch. The SFAs are up and we have a robust um, coaching lineup that uh, take care of all the uh, different age groups. So when I mention to give FAS space to reflect and to see decisively what needs to be done, uh, FAS did decisively went on review and came out with recommendations that we together from SSI Sport SG and FAS UTR has embraced. And so since then, I have personally went down to the training pitches. I made a trip to Madrid. I look at the ambition of our kids, the 14-year-olds, the 15-year-olds play. I can see a palpable change that their mental psyche, their willingness, their hunger to win is already different. And I saw that on the pitch, while they are not exactly at the competitive levels of the European kids, but we are getting closer. I'm very confident that once we keep up this momentum, we will bridge the gap at the regional level where SEA Games is concerned. I'm pretty confident that we will go from strength to strength from, from this point onwards. So, you know, you talk about 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, and you mention words like building blocks. So, this invites the fact that you need patience. You need patience in this project. You need patience to see results. But in the interim, of course, you know, our senior national team, of course, the results won't be as what we expect it to be. What would be your message to fans to have that patience, basically, to realise that you need time for this project to bear fruit and just stick with us through this process? Everyone wants to see winning teams. Everyone wants our senior Lions, our young Lions to be competitive. I accept that. Of course, Having patience, everyone will say that when is the day coming? I'll say that let's do the long game. If we are going on this long journey and we are seeing signs of improvement, we have got to support our Lions. Wherever age they are, we have to put our hearts behind them and support them. We cannot be giving them wet blankets and demoralize them. We need to be together and journey this. And as I said, in another three to five years, if we do this collectively as one team Singapore, I'm pretty sure that everyone will share the collective fruits of this uh, journey. Yeah. Maybe I'll chip in, Tipan, uh, given your revelation that you're a Man U fan. Uh, <laughs> so you will know Man U history. I'm not a Man I'm a Southampton fan and we can go into that. Wow. Uh, so as a Man U fan, uh, you know, trivia, I don't know how long did it take for Alex Ferguson to win? Quite a number of years, almost got sacked before yes. he actually won. So yeah. uh, that's the analogy I'll give. I'm hoping not to say that uh, I'm going to promise uh, Alex Ferguson type of success. But uh, actually, that's the level of patience that we hope we minimally give, you know, uh, UTR and FAS. So yeah, Alex Ferguson was almost sacked, but of course, the, we all know the rest is history and he went on to be the most winning coach. Um, I'm a Southampton fan and uh, not many people will follow Southampton, even though there's quite a sizable following in Singapore. We are now in the championship because we got relegated last season, uh, bottom of the table. 
But now we are on an 18-match unbeaten streak in the championship. Hopefully, we'll bounce back. But I'll say this. In the last 10 years for long-suffering Southampton fans, there was a season that we were... There were two seasons we were in Europe. And there was one season we finished one place above Liverpool. And that was Jurgen Klopp's uh, first season as mm-hmm. Liverpool coach. Look at where Liverpool is now. Uh, so again, some patience is needed. So I think that's my message, uh, which you've uh, put out when you have first asked this question. Let's give it patience. But of course, we're not going to you know, uh, abdicate uh, accountability. As Chulwe said, we have a long-term plan because we're going to send young people on scholarships. You add the number of years later that they would have benefited from a higher level of training, environment and play. Uh, hopefully, when they reach late teens to early 20s, they will be in a better position than if we didn't send them. And by the time they are at that, at that age to represent Singapore for SEA Games, hopefully we can compete at a higher level than the results we have seen in recent times. We've right. been there before in our history mm-hmm. and our aim collectively as one team single is hopefully to replicate conditions to get back there again. Uh, like you, I'm sure many fans will be hoping for the rebound of the Singapore national team in, in the future. Uh, several sporting highlights in 2023, like uh, I mentioned earlier, successful Asian games like you mentioned before as well for Singapore. Uh, and some sports were singled out, however, for underperforming. I'm thinking uh, table tennis and fencing were two of those sports. But what are some of the lessons learned from these sports that didn't really perform so well in 2023? What can we, what lessons can we use to bring forward in 2024? Yeah, I think first of all we learned that uh, sporting nations are continuously trying to do their best to compete. And we learned also that uh, they have improved tremendously as much as we have improved a lot. And so at the field of play, uh, this is where the subtle differences start to make a difference. I wouldn't say that Team Singapore uh, did not perform well. I think that uh, we need to reflect on what it takes to win against our closest competitors. To put it into context, um, fencing did really well at SEA Games, uh, sweeping uh, almost all the gold medals of 12 on offer. When we went to the Asian Games, we start to realize that, uh, in fact, we need to sharpen the edge where every point counts and where the team comes together, you need to string it up and then to win. So in itself, the campaign was illuminating in what we need to strengthen. And to put into context, it's not just training hard or training smarter. We need to analyze what our competitors are doing and really win those points that really count. And this is just one example. In fact, every sport is different. And if you take a look at table tennis, and I would say that the team is in, in a few years of rebuilding, especially for the young younger set coming up. But what is encouraging is that we have seen bright sparks. Uh, Ellen mentioned Isaac, uh, the women's team you will see for yourself, now is a very young, energetic team. And so what we have learned is that then for table tennis to continue to win at SEA Games and Asia levels and beyond, they have got to compete and play at their level best each and every time frequently with their closest opponents. At the Southeast Asia level, they have to beat the ties. At the Asia level, of course, all the powerhouses are there. But with each competition, as I mentioned, they gain experience. We are seeing that they're inching up. And so I remain confident and optimistic that we are in a good position because of the youthfulness of our Team Singapore. That gives them sufficient runway to reach their maximum potential. It is not in a good position where we have short-term gains because of very senior experienced athletes without 
you know, succession. And we are at a point where we are starting to see a young team, but with long succession with the teenagers coming up behind them, that will put us in a good position in the next 10 to 20 years for some of these sports that have produced in the past for us. Okay, that's great to hear. Hopefully, of course, this bears fruit uh, in the future. Uh, some issues that I wanted to talk about, and this is something that just comes to mind. My colleague, uh, Kimberly, she wrote a, a column quite recently on the lack of crowd at the Women's Floorball Championship uh, that was held in December. A um, couple of other events as well that I've observed that you no know, Singaporeans are not really flocking to, to these events. It's a bit of a tough question, but how do we get Singaporeans to, to go down and, and support our athletes or even just to watch world-class action? Because if I mean that floorball tournament was world-class action after all, how do we get Singaporeans down? Well, I think it's one of those things where we have to firstly think about the popularity of the sport. It was a privilege to host World Floorball. And I think uh, in our consideration when we plan, planned it, we did want to have it an indoor stadium because we did want to make sure that we cater to the possible crowd coming in to, to support it. I agree that it's disappointing. Uh, I, I read Kimberly's article and a lot of points she wrote about were indeed what we observed. Uh, we were hopeful of a bigger crowd, but I rather, if you ask me to do it again, rather than make it simple and holy in OCBC Hall 1, which would have three, 4,000, I would say, let's try to do that again and think of ways to engender that, that excitement. But candidly, each sport will have different levels of support and uh, awareness. Yeah, for example, I mean, the, the Singapore national team, I think, drew almost 30,000 at the, the game against Thailand, yes. which, is a, uh, which is a good crowd given our results at the moment. Yeah. Yes, so that's exactly what, what we've been trying to do in Sports Simple. We're trying to say that with Sports Hub coming back, can we lean forward to make sure that where these events are concerned, we make the best facility available so that uh, Singaporeans can come and support. But to your question, it's a difficult one. Uh, we, of course, hope that every Lions game at National Stadium will be full, 50,000. We hope that every time we do a sports event in the indoor stadium, it will be full, 10,000 plus. Uh, that's our dream, but reality will be that yeah, it depends on the sport's popularity. So we learn lessons from floorball experience and uh, if we were to do it again, uh, we'll put those lessons in play and hopefully uh, get a bigger crowd. Okay. Uh, just before I move on to, to happier things to talk about in 2024, the likes of Max Maida and Shanti, I just want to ask about, you know, certain turmoil uh, in, in certain NSAs. Of course, with, with what's happened recently with Sepatakrao and, and Silat, the, the root of it that worries me would be how athletes will be affected. What can Sport Singapore or SSI do to mediate, resolve, or you know, help these athletes who are affected? So, for example, for Silat, uh, because of what happened, it resulted in them not being able to, to compete at the World Champs, for example. You know, that's, that results in the athletes being affected. What can Sport Singapore or SSI do? Yeah, at any time uh, there are some challenges with NSAs, uh, the first reaction that Sport Singapore through SSI and our stakeholders to do is to insulate the Team Singapore from such challenges. So whether is it uh, Silat or is it Sepatakra, the very first thing that we did was to insulate the athletes, let them continue to train, keep their training schedule on competitions that are scheduled, they will continue. The Silat World Championship was slightly different consideration because we are organizing it and uh, because of the challenges it was uh, deemed not suitable and so that is a slightly different uh, challenge that we had to overcome. Having said that, uh, we 
continue to see our CLAT athletes today. In Hall 6, they are training, the coaches are on. And this year, we have an uh, interim team helping to just make sure that all the four, five major competitions that are scheduled to go uh, remains uh, on track. And we also want to be able to work quite quickly with uh, the relevant authorities and, and the NSAs to restore stability. And glad to say that today, um, you have not seen any adverse impact coming to the athletes. I think is a good sign. Yeah. Okay, that's great to hear. Uh, looking ahead now to the 2024 Olympics, as far as I'm concerned, Max Meder looks to be a good bet for an Olympic medal in Paris. Alan, have you met him? You know, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, what can Sport Singapore do in the run-up to to help him or even SSI? Well, I, I've met him. I've met him a couple of times. Uh, I'm a sailor myself in my school days. Uh, of course, uh, not to the level of Max and Ryan. So, amazing person. Uh, Max is now 17 only. And uh, if you do follow him and you trace back to as early as when he was 11, he did you know express a ambition, aspiration uh, to be world champion. And he achieved it within five years. How many of us 11-year-olds can say that? We have done such a thing. Uh, but at the same time, very intelligent boy, uh, very mature, uh, level-headed. And uh, what we've done is to make sure that because of the nature of sailing, his best training areas are not in Singapore. So SSI SportsSG has tried to make sure that wherever he is, we give him the best support. And I do have direct conversations with him, uh, his parents, and uh, there's a two-way feedback between his family and us in SportsSG and SSI. And the key is to keep him uh, focused on Paris 2024, we have fingers crossed. He is world champion. But we, at the same time, we don't want to put undue pressure on him. Uh, but we have quietly confident that you know he will uh, stay focused and give us uh, a fly or flag high in Paris. When you are a world champion, with it comes pressure, of course. Um, how does he wear this pressure? You know, How would you help Max in terms of pressure? Because of course, training is one thing, You know, preparing for the Olympics. But pressure itself is something that you need help to deal with sometimes especially when you mentioned that he's 17. How does SSI or Sport SG help him with that? Max is a very interesting athlete. I believe that he enjoys what he's doing now, uh, being world champion, going into races, being, you know, and, and trying to do well. Everyone's trying to beat him. I think I observe that he actually enjoys it. Of course, it, it comes with pressure, but uh, he has found a way to savor that pressure to turn it into something positive and I would say that that positivity is to make him singularly focus and keep hungry on wanting to do his level best. So he did share that when he is sailing, he thinks nothing about anything else but just to focus on his race and doing his very best. So I think it is a very good trait of an elite athlete. So he, he has got uh, this ability coupled with SSI's uh, sports psychs and our scientists who follow him very closely. That provides the partnership of a support that whenever he needs, help is online. Our physios, our psychs are on competition ground to support whatever he needs. So he travels around the world and our focus now is to make sure that he keeps very healthy and pays himself knowing that it is the ultimate goal at Olympic Games to win at the podium regardless of whatever colour, he has got to stay steady and go into Olympics. And he, he understands that and we are trying to work this so that he enjoys his journey. And when he enjoys his journey, he is where he's at his best. So I'm very optimistic about his own ambition and his singular focus going into the Olympics. 
Another athlete that will be in Paris, of course, is uh, Shanti Pereira, who, of course, took Asia by storm uh, in 2023. Uh, what is the next step for Shanti in the sense where when she did well in 2023, of course, it's not just um, her efforts, right? It's the coach's efforts, it's the support from SportSG and SSI. But how do you then now conduct or rather come up with a plan for her to get even better in 2024? You know, is that the harder thing to do that once you achieve a certain level of success, how do you then get to the next step? Well, uh, if I can tell a joke, you know, in my interaction with Shanti, uh, I basically said, Shanti, I noticed that in 2022, your Commonwealth timing for 200 meters was 23.48. So, uh, uh, something like that. And 2023, you know, you you stormed to 22.57. Uh, that's uh, quite a big jump. So by Olympics, you should be 21 point something, right? <laughs> she laughed at me. <laughs> But, you know, in that in the reaction, it's a bit of a, uh, yeah, 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 I don't, easier said than done, right? But there's a little bit of, of course, I'm aiming to be as fast as I can be. Um, speaking with Coach Lewis, uh, who's been instrumental in her success, I'll say this. Uh, he would say that Shanti has only come back and trained full-time for only a year plus. Uh, before that, you know, we knew she had great potential. 21.5, she was there. We, we've spoken to her in your previous uh, podcast and it's, you know, she's she's spoken to a media about how uh, she had her ups and downs. But she's, you know, at age 27, uh, where she is now, continuing to train full-time under the tutelage of Coach Lewis. And we we have high hopes for where they can go from here. And uh, the aim is to further improve from the achievements in 2023. I would add that we have not fully unraveled how far Shanti can go. So I would continue to watch this space because two years ago, if you ask how far would Shanti go, nobody would dare dream, right? Asiat, you know, gold medals and whatever not. And here we are, lo and behold, she's Asian champion. I think let's not limit our imagination and ambition for her to say where is a limit. I think she's only beginning to discover where we can break through. And they are quietly working together with Louis, with the team, to continue to prime her in good shape. And let's find out. That's this exciting journey. I don't know. But I am excited to find, you know, at the next major competitions, at the Diamond Leagues and whatever not, where will she compete? And let's uh, watch this space. Let's all cheer her on and, and get excited. Definitely uh, lots of reason to get excited about uh, but just to backtrack a little, the journey that we talked about, uh, the journey that Shanti had been on, uh, involved highs and lows like you mentioned as well. And one of the lows was of course the fact that she did lose her spec scholarship at one point of time because she was not performing. I think that the way that scholarship program is designed is to, of course, it's it's based on certain merit as well. You know, you cannot just be underperforming and then still say that you garner the scholarship. But is there a need to refine it in such a way where Athlete can, of course, lose form because all athletes do, you know, have an up and down in their form. You know, is there a need to refine the the way the scholarship is given out to ensure that people like Shanti don't lose their scholarship even when they are not in the best of forms? Is there a need to refine it at all? Or do you think it works just fine the way it does? Yeah, to clarify, Shanti did not lose her spec scholarship per se. She completed her spec scholarship in that period of time. And I would say that um, it is not an up-and-down stock market where you get in or get out of a spec scholarship. In fact, uh, we provide ample opportunities and time for an athlete to ride out whatever low-performing periods, which is part and parcel of a high-performance sport. 
And when Shanti completed her spec scholarship, she was not at a form that was anywhere near the Asia level or beyond. And therefore, uh, coming out of the spec scholarship allowed her to recalibrate her future direction, to think about what she wants to do. That said, coming out of the spec scholarship doesn't mean that uh, we did not give her any support. In fact, she was continued to be carded. We provided the daily training environment. And the good news is that she found a new impetus and a new ambition that we quite quickly able to support her. And when she showed the signs that she's again on the uptrack, she was back in the specs scholarship and quite quickly, here we are today. She's, a, I would say, a shining period of uh, career. So I think uh, the ability for us to be flexible, to support our athletes regardless of whether they're in spec scholarship or not, is, is a design feature of our support program. Okay. Maybe, Final. Yeah. Sorry, if I can add, add to yeah. that, uh, I'll just say that, I mean, what, to summarize what Chun Wei has just shared, uh, there's specifics to the spec scholarship, but suffice to say, I'll debunk the myth that you know, it's really just performance-driven. Mm-hmm. You drop from the performance and we take you out of it. It's not the case. I think we take in totality every athlete's trajectory of performance, uh, the potential, the circumstances like form, like injuries, because uh, we all know that it needs, it can't be a year-on-year thing. It needs to be a long-term assurance that you can train with peace of mind to give your very best for Singapore. So in the case of Shanti, I think it was an assessment that at that time, she completed it. The timings at that time where she uh, finished it were not at the Asia level, as Chunwei said. Speaking to her about that journey specifically, uh, I still vividly recall what she said to me. She decided, yeah, this is the reason why she chose to do it full-time now. It's arguably a last window to try to fulfill the potential that was uh, heaped on her when she was a teenager. And now we're seeing uh, what an amazing uh, achievement she has through all the hard work that she's done. All right. Uh, now, down to my final question. What changes in, in mindset do you think is required or would you like to see in Singapore's sport? Uh, so, for me, if I may, I think back to the Asian Games and, and the post-Asian Games conference. Uh, and Chunwei, you described it overall as a successful Asian Games. And I personally, you know, disagreed with that because I thought that for it to be branded as successful, it needs to be much more than it was. But then I come from a very different perspective that perhaps we need to be a bit more ruthless when it comes to judging how Singapore sports is. Do you think that mindset should be adopted by Singaporean sports athletes in a sense where we need to aim higher? Because like you mentioned as well, even for fencing, you know, we are top of the Southeast Asian ladder. We go a, a few spots in Southeast Asia, we are quite there, we are at the top. But then when we go on to the Asian stage, we are not really there about. So, is there a need to be more ruthless or do you think I'm coming from a different approach? What do you think? Um, we adopt a very ambitious approach when we talk about high performance. And we are solely uh, aware that it is a ruthless game. It's a cruel game when you get onto the field of play. There's no medal for the fourth finish. But I need to mention fourth finish because at Asian Games, uh, there were a couple of uh, fourth finishes. That finish actually provided a lot of value of learning in itself. Learning how to win to overcome from a fourth to a third is what a lot of the athletes may not have the experience. Lo and behold, you look at Letitia, just immediately after Asian Games, she went on to Berlin and she swam a crackler of a time. And so I, I think what we have gotten away, when I say that it was a successful Asian Games, it is in a holistic measurement of how I see our athletes prepare 
go and compete. Yes, by all measures, the medals will count. Uh, if you stack it up, they are not like in previous editions. But of course, I digress to say that some of the sports that we medal in are not in the recent Asian Games. But I see that where our absolute performance level has inched up, I would say that yes, it still can be constituted as successful Asian Games. The question is then, at the next opportunity, we have got to have the winning edge and then close and make sure that the medal come in. This is that switch that I think we need to convert where, you know, where it counts. So I would say that watch this space. We have got to take stock. We have got to go back. We have got to work with the coaches and the athletes to say, look, we have got to do this. This is what it takes to win. Learn from our experience. Don't make the same mistake a thousand times. Go for it. And this is where I would say that the roofnessness is. Not so much of the roofnessness in setting targets that is not achievable. I would say that you know that you can get there, go for it, be ruthless about getting that medal. I think that is what has poised us well after the Asian Games. So Deepan, uh, to this question, it's a very relevant one. Uh, if you double-click on the phrase successful, I think what Chung Wei has uh, responded is basically, we don't want to just be comfortable with that performance in Hangzhou. But we say it's successful because contextually we know where our Team Singapore athletes are. Uh, you know, Leticia is young. I think her quote was the best. I didn't train to become to achieve fourth. And then she swam a crackler. You could argue that her experience in Asian Games uh, you know, propelled her to what she did in Berlin and now she's qualified for Paris uh, with her latest timings. So if successive Asian Games, we keep getting this medal tally and we tell you it's successful, you're right. We were not ruthless enough. But we say successful contextually because we see the trajectory and potential of where we can go. But yes, I agree with you. We should be ruthless about it. We should not be satisfied. And I think that's not the attitude and posture we want Team Singapore to have coming out of Hangzhou. We want them to be hungrier as exemplified by Leticia. I'm hungrier. I got fourth a bit too many times and I want to do better. All right, before I let you go, lots of uh, sports fans in Singapore will be listening today. So what would be your message to them for 2024? Speak to them. Well, I'll say... Uh, Come support Team Singapore with all your efforts. We hope to uh, achieve greater hikes and uh, please get behind Team Singapore. All right. Yeah, to all sports fans, we are all part of Team Singapore. Ups and downs, we are together as one. Fantastic. Uh, Chunwei and Ellen, thank you so much for coming on Hard Tackle. I think we had a very lively and insightful conversation. I'm sure fans, listeners and Team Singapore athletes would have all learned a lot from this episode. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tipan. Thank you, Tipan. Happy New Year. And that's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. And in the words of our guest Chunwei, watch this space as Singapore sport evolves. Send your feedback to podcast at sbh.com.sg. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or within our Straits Times app. Thanks for listening.